Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. There's a bunch to talk about, and at the end of the episode, I will do the Patreon slash mail-in drawing. More info on that later, uh, but let's jump into the news. An interview was just posted with the founder of the company Argonaut, the same company that created the Super FX chip and Star Fox. In the interview, he went on to talk about a virtual reality helmet they were designing called the Supervisor that had two full-color screens and even offered head tracking. The project was canceled and uh, Nintendo decided to go with the Virtual Boy instead. But in the interview, the, the founder, Jeremy Sand, didn't really go into how far along they were. Unless I misinterpreted, he was kind of vague and it could be anything from a drawing on a napkin all the way to a working prototype. But it was still pretty neat. Um, I don't have high hopes for what something like that would have been back in 1994. I mean, imagine two Game Gear screens right in front of you. It's probably not going to be the best experience. And I do love the Virtual Boy for what it was, but it would have been really neat to see what they came up with, and I hope if a prototype was made, it gets to be shown off at some point. Two classic Castlevania games, Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood, will be releasing as a package together on PS4 this month on October 26th. It'll be $17 if you pre-order it, or they say it'll go up to 20 after the pre-order period has ended. But it looks like it has the potential to be pretty cool. Um, it says it scales up to 4K, so the picture that they show here is one from their website that looks to me like a 1080p scale because there's a full border around. Um, and a, four, 4K, a full 4K integer scale uh, would fill the screen top to bottom and still leave just a little bit of space on the sides. Um, and they say it offers things like multiple high-resolution backgrounds. Meh, I don't really care but updated controller support that adds vibration and the use of a speaker to hear a chime when you pick up an item. So, to me, it seems like this is something that's kind of adding something to the original game, rather than, uh, you know, it, remake it or, or ruin the original experience. It just seems like it's kind of a neat way to play it. But uh, for me personally, when I, whenever I look at games that are re-released like this, I want to know what the difference is between playing them on original hardware or whatever in between. So, for example, uh, when I played Symphony of the Night through my PS3, when I put the PS1 disc in, uh, it looked like total garbage. It was soft and horrible. And yes, of course, I did remember to go into the settings and disable all blurring and filtering and all that. Uh, I tried it in 480p, 720p, and 1080p. It still it looked soft and awful. Then I downloaded the PSN version on my PS3, and that looked pretty good. It definitely wasn't bad. But then when I tried it on original hardware, uh, the PS1, the, the small one, it looked way better 
um, through the open source scan converter. And then when I tried it through my PS2 Slim, not only did it look just as good as the PS1, but it loaded faster. So loaded faster than the original, at least. And it was certainly comparable to the load times of the, the PSN download version. So I, I really hope that this adds something to that, because uh, I certainly wouldn't want to purchase another version if it's just going to be another thing that's not quite as good as the original through the open source scan converter. But who knows, with the 4K scaling, uh, maybe they'll add some cool filters or something. They say there's smoothing support, which means like that awful softness thing that they add to try to make the older games look less boxy. But hopefully they'll have things like CRT overlays. And with 4K resolution, you should be able to do a high quality CRT overlay. But I guess we'll find out on October 26th. And at some point I do want to play through this game again. Um, I beat it, I have my save game file on an original PS1 memory card, and I was going to go back and try to play through maybe a second time on that one, but people had said I should definitely try the Saturn version, even with its shortcomings. So maybe I'll do that, maybe I'll eventually buy a PS4 Pro and play this, but either way, there's tons of options now. I just posted an interview with retro gaming 3D print design enthusiast Greg Collins, and at the end of the interview, I really, really want a 3D printer even more than I already did now. Uh, we talked about all of the different creations that he's posted open source for the community. We talked about one that I hadn't really shown publicly yet because I'd been planning on doing a re-review of it. And I, I had a blast. Greg was really easy to talk to and gave a lot of tips for people starting out with 3D printing. So, um, you know, anybody that's interested in any of that stuff, please check it out. I thought it was a great interview. And uh, maybe I could change the, uh, the name around to be a little more, the title of the YouTube video to be a little more clickbaity to draw some more people into that. So what should I call him? The uh, 3D print retro gaming champion, Greg? <laughs> any uh, any um, suggestions, please post down below. But if you're even the slightest bit interested in 3D print stuff for the retro gaming world, definitely check it out. The creator of that 17-port touchscreen-enabled HDMI switch has posted prototypes on eBay for sale. And I believe these are going to be the only ones that he sells. I think, like many projects in the retro gaming world, he really designed this for himself, then had some fun making some prototypes and went from there. So if anybody's interested, take a look. Keep in mind, these are prototypes. I always like to be very blunt and out there about this. I think many of us, especially many people listening to this podcast, would probably be totally okay testing a prototype of something, as long as we were told in advance it's a prototype. So it seems like uh, one of the two versions he has for sale had a few quirks, which were posted in the eBay description. The other one seems to be working fine. Uh, anybody that's ever messed with HDMI switches knows that you never know what you're going to run into, so this could work flawlessly for you or not. But I think it's absolutely cool, and I really hope we get to see more projects like this in the future. And I just think it's really neat that you could program all your inputs and not even have to worry about anything. Just, you know, you don't have to have a little cheat sheet that says, all right, Wii U's plugged into port 5. You just turn it on, and it says Wii U right there. But... Anybody interested, check out the link down below, and there are two separate auctions on eBay for two different versions, so just read through which one fits you better. I have just a quick update on the Atari Jaguar Pro Controller story from last week. Um, it, apparently that they will ship from the assembly plant on October 22nd, so there's about a month to go before they're received and uh, checked to make sure the quality is expected and then sold. So I will post another update probably around then, and hopefully these things are ready to go. And I'm certainly looking forward to trying one out, even if it will only work with, like, one game. 
And speaking of the Jaguar, Saint has just posted teaser pics of what the menu system will look like on the Jaguar SD cart. And it looks like they'll have thumbnail support as well as a dark and light theme depending on what you like to look at. So it looks like it's coming along and I really, really hope that, uh, that this thing will get out sooner rather than later because I've been lusting over this thing since it was first announced years ago. But uh, hopefully we'll have something soon. The creator of the RetroTank products just posted pictures of a prototype RGB to component converter board for use with the RetroTank 2X scaler. I think this is really great and I hope this becomes a product that people could purchase because there are no inexpensive high quality RGB to component converters anywhere, especially ones that are designed for retro gaming in mind. So obviously if anybody's looking for the highest quality component video solution from their consoles, you can just get an HD retrovision cable which we're painstakingly built to match the exact output of each console. But a lot of people might just need a generic scaler to work with their existing setups. I certainly would appreciate one. So hopefully this could be a product and maybe something even as simple as a female SCART cable with just very short RCA leads that can go right into either the RetroTINK 2X or maybe even the back of a CRT that could support component video. But either way, I'll keep anybody posted uh, if there's any updates or if this becomes an actual product. And hopefully this is something that we could purchase soon because uh, I'll actually have a video coming up as soon as I can get to the editing that compares a lot of the RGB to component converters that are out there already. And most are either not very good or are very expensive. So let's all keep our fingers crossed and see if we could purchase the RetroTINK SCART to component at some point in the future. Mike was also working on a prototype of a universal SNES RGB cable. At the moment, the components inside an NTSC or a PAL RGB SCART cable are much different. And not only will some not work, some could severely damage your equipment if you use the wrong ones. The biggest example I want to make is if you use an NTSC C-Sync cable on either a PAL GameCube or a PAL Super Nintendo, you're sending 12 volts down the C-Sync line, which will definitely damage any SCART equipment, including some SCART CRTs. So Mike was looking to have one cable that you could just use on all consoles, and it seems to be a focus on compatibility over getting the absolute, you know, 0.01% best clarity out of it. Although based on his findings, it looks like they are good quality cables. So I'm assuming he's probably thinking about this in conjunction with his other products, but it's still a cool thing to have out there. And while I'm not really sure how much of a problem this has been, um, I think having a universal cable might be a good option. Uh, and hopefully it won't confuse people and let them think that you could plug any Super Nintendo cable into each other. Someone just posted a video about their prototype PlayStation 2 DualShock to Atari 5200 controller adapter. This is pretty cool because it allows use of the analog sticks and it could even allow both to be used at the same time for any of the dual stick 5200 games and even has things programmed in like the number buttons. Um, this is not something that it seems like is going to be made or sold, but all of the schematics and details are available on the website. So if any 5200 fans were really looking to make this a thing, you probably could be able to put it out for yourself. But I do really like projects like this, because while you can get really great refurbished and rebuilt uh, 5200 controllers, I still think they kind of stink. I'm sure 5200 fans are probably screaming at the screen right now and... 
making fun of me, but I just I don't think they're comfortable. Whereas I do think, even if you don't love the PS2 controller, everybody's gotten used to one at this point. So I think it's a great alternative, and heck, it may even be cheaper than buying a fully refurbished 5200 controller if enough of them could be made. So if anybody is a huge fan of the 5200 and has the ability to build something like this, maybe check out the links and the schematics and see if it's something you could do a run of. Uh, or maybe if enough of us are interested, the creator, Scott Baker, could just make a run himself and maybe we do a little pre-order or something. But either way, I thought it was cool enough to mention. Kevin Mellet has just posted instructions on how to build his 3D printed Virtual Boy programmer. Uh, and there's actually two links down there. One of them shows how to build the 3D print and assemble that. And the other one is showing the programmer itself. But I thought this was a pretty cool thing because not only were there instructions, but there are also the 3D print files for that cool Virtual Boy case. So uh, I have no idea what I might use that for, but one of these days I might have one of those printed just for the hell of it. A custom firmware was just released for the open source scan converter that expands the amount of test patterns that it has built in. So right now if you use a stock firmware and you turn on the OSSC, you get a basic test pattern just to show that it's working. And this adds many patterns, as well as the ability to check refresh rates and to see if the TV would be compatible with something like a Super Nintendo that has an odd refresh rate. And I think this is really awesome because now you might be able to take this OSSC and to try out a TV. Um, it already has the ability to add a lag test diode to it. And now that you have different test patterns as well, this could prove to be really cool. I haven't had time to test it myself yet. Uh, I'm really interested in doing that as well as to finally do the lag test mod. But the open source scan converter is really turning out to be a device that every retro gamer really should own for a million different reasons. So uh, it's the custom firmware is on the site linked below, not on any of the main OSSC pages. But this thing's awesome and I can't wait to try it out. This one's a bit obscure even for me. Someone just updated their Sega TerraDrive computer to a 486 CPU. That alone is hilarious to say in 2018. But when I saw the post in the video, I had to even look up what a Sega TerraDrive was. And I had completely forgot that Sega had made an IBM compatible PC in the early 90s. And the idea of it was pretty awesome. A computer with a Genesis built in. I think that would be a pretty freaking cool thing to have. Uh, but the execution was awful. Um, the processor that came with the TerraDrive was already far outdated by the time it hit, uh, hit the market, which is strange because you would think that you would at least try to get a somewhat usable CPU in there. And then I think much like the uh, LaserDisc player, um, the Pioneer Laser Active, you would sometimes have to use two outputs because I believe you could have the computer outputting via composite video as well as Genesis, but then you have a crappy Genesis signal and you have a very terrible computer signal going through 480i. Or alternatively, you could use the VGA output, but I believe it switched to 15 kilohertz RGB mode when you turn on the Sega Genesis. So unless you had one of those very rare monitors or somehow had a Sony BVM in the early 90s, uh, there's no way that you could use one monitor as both a 480p computer monitor or as the monitor that plays the Genesis games. So the Terra Drive is something that's kind of neat and kind of weird, and uh, 
I don't know if it was if it was a little more affordable, I might pick one up just to have a neat 486 computer. But the prices I see online are pretty insane, and it's not really that usable of an item because you would need two outputs depending on which uh, you know depending on which system you would use and what you needed to do with it. But I just thought it was cool enough to post on here, and uh, I really like some of the more obscure stuff. But as long as there's kind of a good story behind it, you know. Genobi's Retro Impressions just posted the latest video in their unreleased game series, this time focusing on games from the Philips CDI. And I really enjoy all these videos. I think that I enjoy hearing about some of these games more than I ever would have enjoyed playing them, but I do really love the window into what could have been for a lot of these consoles, especially the weird ones like the Philips CDI. It's the only console powerful enough to bring it to you. <laughs> HD Retrovision just posted a blog update. And some of the key points are that their cables are currently in production and will ship directly to resellers when they arrive. They're still going to keep their store closed for a little while longer. They'll also be selling certain things on Amazon and are continuing to plan new products, none of which we have a prototype for yet. So uh, hopefully we'll see some new stuff from them soon, and I'm still really waiting on that Dreamcast cable. Okay, now it's time to draw the winner of this month's Patreon mail-in giveaway. This month's giveaway is a Super FX multi-cart made by SNES Unlimited that I think is absolutely killer. It has every Super FX game, including Star Fox 2 on here, and it even lights up when you put it into the, uh, into the console. So I kind of wanted to make up for last month's giveaway because I didn't know how that was going to pan out. I was kind of afraid halfway through I was going to get shut down on that. So I felt like I wanted to give up something much cooler and uh, something a little bit more special this time. And also, I have finally heard back from Patreon, and it was mostly a generic corporate response, but what they said made a lot of sense to me. It seems as if they're trying to shut down giveaways because they don't want Patreon to turn into a gambling platform. So they don't want people to say, we'll do a monthly drawing, you know, dollar tiers get this much, ten dollar tiers get that much, and essentially turn it into gambling. So I imagine that if I just kept doing it the way I did, they'd probably leave me alone. However, they specifically stated that as long as the giveaway wasn't 100% for Patreons, that I'm still allowed to do it. So I know a few people had suggested this before, and now Patreon themselves have confirmed that as long as I also offer another way to do the giveaways, that I'm going to keep doing them. So from now on, each month, at the end of the month, the, the last podcast of that month, I'll announce whatever it is that I'm giving away, and you'll have one week to either respond on the Patreon page or mail in your ballot, which I will, if somebody actually does mail something in, I will absolutely put that into the spin wheel and enter your chances in. Uh, and I think that kind of works for everybody. So, um, you know, with stuff like Patreon, we're really going by their rules, not, um, you know, not the laws or anything like that. So they could change their mind at any point and threaten me by canceling my Patreon account. And if that happens, I'll have to stop. But it doesn't look like I'll have to stop. It looks like as long as I abide by their rules and do this, we can st still keep going with these. Because I genuinely really like giving stuff away. Um, a lot of the things that I've given away were things that people really needed or were just really excited about. And I think it's a, kind of a fun way that I get to show my appreciation for all my amazing Patreon subscribers. So uh, without further ado, let's do the spin wheel drawing. Okay, the winner of this month's Patreon giveaway for the Super FX Multicart is... 
Paul C. Well, congratulations, Paul. Um, if I don't hear from you in a few days, I'll email you directly, but hopefully you'll be listening to this and be able to hear your name called. Before I go, I just want to let everybody know that tonight, Wednesday, October 3rd, should be a retro roundtable podcast. I say should be because we never really know until the day of because there's five people, five families, five schedules. It's hard for us to all get on the same page. But when we do, uh, that's when we do the podcast. We usually try to give at least a few hours notice on, on social media to everybody. But if you do like that podcast and you do like joining us live, subscribe and click on that little bell next to the subscribe button so you get notified whenever we go live. And the only time you will get notified is when we go live. We don't post anything else on there. We don't use that for promotion or anything. It's just to do the podcast. So uh, if you're into that, subscribe, hit the bell, come join us when we do it live because it's always a lot of fun to interact with people in the, uh, in the chat and all that stuff. But anyway, that sums it up for this week. As always, thank you so much to all the Patreon subscribers that make this channel happen. I really appreciate the support, and I'll see everybody next week.